Um, last week, if you remember, we, we were talking about a survey that had just come out. It was by Deloitte, I believe, talking about the retirement reality that baby boomers in Canada face. Okay. The demographic of 55 to 64, it was focusing on, uh, those approaching retirement, talking about retirement readiness. Are you ready? You're running out of time here. Are you ready? Right. And it turned out 14%. So roughly one in seven were in a position to enjoy a quote, comfortable retirement, which means continue on as you are. The rest would have to make lifestyle changes of varying degrees, right? I think it fell down to about 15% basically had no savings and were going to be completely reliant on CPP and OAS. And then uh, it was about 55%, I think, in the middle. Had some savings, you know, some had a lot, some had a little, somewhere in the middle, blah, blah, blah. But in order to make their retirement feasible and not outlive their money, they would have to make changes to their lifestyle. They couldn't live the same way uh, in retirement as they were living when they were working. So not surprisingly, um, they're going to have to deal with that as we go along. Things have changed a lot. But what about other generations? Not surprisingly, they too are facing some pretty significant challenges. are going to have to rethink things. We're going to have a conversation now with Paul Kershaw, who is the founder of Generation Squeeze. Paul, thanks for being uh, on the air with us again. I appreciate your time. Always a pleasure to join the show. So, okay, we're, we were talking about, you know, people who are knocking on the door of retirement there, 55 to 64. What about younger Canadians? Things have changed a lot. I'm wondering, um, they're not going to have an easy go of it either. I mean, you just take a look at the way the landscape has changed in the last 25, 30, 40, 50 years. It's an entirely different picture, isn't it? Yeah, and, and let's be clear, this isn't about a competition, but saying, oh, one age group has, you know, has it worse. And if only the other group had it as bad as them, that would make everything better. I mean, what we'd prefer is for everyone to be financially secure. You know, I think it's interesting the way that the Deloitte uh, study to which you referred got characterized, because when you're talking about today's 55 to 64 year olds, you're not really talking about baby boomers anymore. Most right. of them have already retired. And actually, you're talking about older Gen Xers. And what the data are really clear is that while we would love every boomer to have a finance, you know, secure financial reality, there are a few that don't. But right now, those over 65 have the lowest rates of low income, according to StatsCan, the highest rates of wealth of any retirement generation we've seen in some time. And they have a lot of housing security because they're particularly likely to be homeowners and homeowners have seen gains in their housing equity as a result of rising home values. If you then start to move down, you do see a very different picture. I hear you want to jump in. My punchline would be, if you move down the age group, hard work doesn't pay off like it used to, and that's a big challenge. Okay, and that's what I wanted to ask you about, and sorry for jumping in there, uh, but what, what? because I think we, we can all take a look at the, the reality. I mean, I'm 52, so I'm knocking on the door of being knocking on the door. I'm getting up there, right? I'm an older Gen Xer, too. Oh, we have 50 in the summer. I can't believe it. <laughs> so we know How what it was that? like when we were, you know, teenagers or when we were young people. I don't know about you, but I had teachers in school that would hammer into me that the CPP can't be counted on. Uh, that's just something. And that's changed. But, you know, home ownership was something that we looked at and said, okay, that's something that we're going to strive for. That's something that we're going to do. I talk to kids nowadays, my own kids in their 20s, and it's like, yeah, that's not even on the radar at this point. It's not something that we even think is possible. So that's changed, right? And you talk about having that piece in going into retirement, being a homeowner really changes things quite dramatically. Yeah, I mean, home ownership rates are down for a younger demic demographic, including in your province, although less so in your province by comparison with BC and Ontario. And here's the, here's the, the summary. I mean, a younger demographic today goes to post-secondary more, pays more for the privilege to land jobs that actually pay less after adjusting for inflation compared to when boomers started out, mm -hmm. only to face home ownership prices that are up 
so, so very much, as everybody knows, that locks people out of homeownership for longer, if not indefinitely, and then their consolation prize is lousy, it's rising rents, which makes it very difficult to save. And so that's the reality of why hard work doesn't pay off for younger people today, as it did in the past. For instance, in your province, it used to take five to six, <clears throat> pardon me, five to six years to save a 20% down payment on an average priced home. Now it takes 10 to 11 years. If you were in all of Canada, it would be 17 years on average because that average in Canada is driven by BC and Ontario where it takes 22 years. Just think about what that means in terms of hard work not paying off. And then when we have more and more is that as new housing supply is being built, <clears throat> people who have gained home ownership equity are increasingly buying second and third homes. And then they're out competing the first time buyer, the young person, the newcomer of any age. And so rather than those young folks getting on the housing ladder and starting to have a mortgage that they pay off over a couple of decades, 30 years, et cetera, and then they have that equity themselves, they're paying off somebody else's mortgage via their rent and they're having less secure housing because the moment that the owner of that housing says, oh, you know, I want to sell it now for my personal financial situation, you then cause the family that was living there have to have to resettle. And so that insecurity, that kind of middle-class security that came with um, home ownership more and more being the norm if you had a good-paying job back in the day is something that is really eroding. And that's going to have con- that has consequences now. It's squeezing the generation raising yeah. young kids, and it, it will absolutely have consequences for their retirement down the road. Yeah, I was just thinking, you know, generation squeeze is the, is the perfect, perfect way of describing this. You, you got higher input costs, you got less earning power at the end. I mean, everything seems sort of be the, making it tougher. I mean, everything is conspiring against having uh, an ability to save. It's just tar- harder and harder for everybody out there, but especially for young people. Mm-hmm. And then we need to, it's one thing that the economy is not working well for all age groups. What really frustrates me, though, is that the public policy response is exacerbating the economic challenge. So when I look at the fall economic statement, for instance, from the federal government, over the next uh, six years, it's budgeting uh, the best part of $180 billion of deficit spending. Mr. Polyev will say that's all because this government can't manage to like balance its books and it's making wasteful decisions about investing left, right, and center. That's not actually true. What's driving the deficits at the federal level is that governments from decades ago, in the 60s and 70s, they didn't come up with revenue strategies to you know collect enough revenue from today's baby boomers who have retired so that there would be a big enough surplus for them to draw down for their old age security and their medical care. And in fact, over 80% of the deficits at the federal level are being driven by spending on those over 65 right now. Is that right? Again, over 80% of the federal deficits over the next six years will be uh, as a result of increased new money going to those over 65. And then let me flash forward to Alberta. Alberta has the biggest age gap in spending of, I believe, any province in the country, but I should limit it. I know for sure bigger than B.C., Ontario, and Quebec. And what that is, what's happening there is you have a relatively young population by comparison with some places in Canada, but your spending on medical care is actually quite, you know, quite, I, I would say inefficient. That's my nice term for it. It's inefficient. <laughs> and, and spending on medical care disproportionately goes to those over 65. You use more medical care after 65 than you do in your first 65 years. That's a good thing. No, my mom sure. relies on it. But we never had a serious conversation about how to pay for it when you had a baby boom. And we knew predictably that when baby boomers were young, there would be like seven working age people to pay for every retiree. But by the time they retired, there would be three. And that's what we're reaping right now. And so more and more tax dollars are needing to go to medical care and old age security for the aging population without having 
a large enough group of younger taxpayers to like do that. And we never ask baby boomers to plan for that accordingly and sort of to some degree say, oh, we needed to pay more back in the day when we were working. So there'd be this surplus that we could draw down on other than that CPP to which you referred earlier. We did it in that case. And the CPP is really, although ironically in your province, financially viable. Yeah, it has. It has turned around. But you know what? The things that you're talking about, Paul, and you're talking about, you know, the the aging demographics and the baby boomers and all that. You and I heard about that when we were small kids. And and, and you're right. Successive governments time and time again failed to recognize or at least heed the warnings of the silver tsunami. We all knew we'd be in this situation eventually. And uh, and you're right to point out the fact that government after government after government just really didn't seem to respond to it or prepare for it properly at all. Yeah, you know, um, sometimes when I say that, people say, but what about Stephen Harper? He proposed raising the age of retirement from 65 to 67, which, by the way, you should know Jen Squeeze loudly, full-throatedly supported. Um, But you need to know that it wouldn't have kicked in until this year. And the fact that it's kicking in this year meant it actually wasn't going to adjust the retirement age really of many boomers. It was adjusting the retirement age of Xers and millennials and those who come after. And so... The harder conversation was decades ago in the mid-90s, if not earlier, to say to boomers, we love you. This is my mom's demographic. But you got to recognize you didn't have to pay that many taxes per worker for every retiree. And that system's not going to be available to you because your kids and grandchildren are a smaller group. So what are we going to do collectively to ensure that your generation contributes enough to taxes? I know it's a bad word, taxes, but it matters for your medical care. It matters for your retirement income security. And we dodged the question. So we're passing the bills on to your kids and grandchildren to pay down the road and inviting a lot of additional immigrants to try and help deal with the issue because they then help bring in more workers. But then they're coming into our cities and they're amplifying demand for housing, which drives those values up. And their earnings aren't that great. So then they're in housing precarity. And that is another layer of this difficult conversation. And so many layers to it. Paul, thank you so much for being here. As always, appreciate your time.